Anyway, I want to go on with redemption, the story of it. You remember we looked at what Christ has done for us, and now I want to look at the identification on Friday. We look, there are six real things you need to know about redemption. Uh, our identification with Christ, um, how man identifies with Christ, um, how I died with Christ, I was buried with Christ, I was made alive with Christ, and I was raised with Christ. And I, I want to go on and, and look at these and talk about it because I find that so many Christians, what they're trying to do is get an experience. And they think an experience is going to be everything. If I can have an experience. Now, in a sense, it has no sense. As I said before, you can make a decision, but your decision will not change your life. Because what you are is what you believe. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And your belief system has to change. And if you make a decision, but your fundamental belief system doesn't change, you'll always go back to live what you believe. That's the way it is. And so, God wants to get hold of man's mind, and the scripture makes it clear, Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And your mind and your reason has to be engaged. And so often what happens is people have emotional experiences and freakouts, and they think somehow that's God, and if they don't have their freakout, uh, and get themselves all excited and jabber in tongues at 200 miles an hour and uh, shake and rattle and roll, they feel God hasn't met them. But God actually wants to get to your reason. And reason is a strange thing. It means your mind has got to be engaged to think. Is that plain? And you remember, redemption, our identification with Christ, um, we looked at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, obtained eternal redemption for us through the shedding of his blood, and nothing can change it. That is why I'm a person who believes in once saved, always saved. If God has met you and you've come to true faith in what he did for you 2,000 years ago, you can't alter the reality of that fact ever. He has obtained eternal redemption for us and it's a done deal. Nothing can change it. Uh, once you're redeemed, your redeemed body, soul, and spirit, it's a done deal. And really, faith in what Christ has done for you is the basis on which you live. I can't stand it when people are trying to get an experience and don't understand that God is not going to do any more than he's already done. He's done it all. 
Jesus is not going to come and suffer again for you. He suffered once for all. Hebrews 10, verse 12 to 14. But this man, after he had offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. One sacrifice for sins forever. That means there's not a continual sacrifice for sin. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, that's set apart. Christ sat down at the right hand of his father. That was it. He'd done everything. And there is no sense in which Jesus Christ is going to have to do more for you or me. Redemption is total, complete, and it's done. Is that plain? The idea or the notion that there's going to be a new move of God does not come from the Bible. Never did. Where is this new move of God coming from? The only thing that happened, if you look back in the Jewish times and the Old Testament, you'll discover people realized they'd gone into sin, they'd gone into apostasy, they repented, they turned to God, and, and it was their move, not God's move. Because the sacrifices, the atonement, everything was there. Now when Christ came... It wasn't by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own body. He gave himself once for all. And when you're sanctified, you're sanctified forever. It's not a process. It's not an experience. It's a fact. Jesus Christ is my sanctification. Jesus Christ is my redemption. It's not something I'm trying to experience. It's something that I know is true. Okay? So many people are trying to um, get set apart. We've been perfectly redeemed because he's been legally identified as our Redeemer. In the courts of heaven, Jesus Christ has satisfied the demands. Now, let me make this clear. There's a lot of talk about Jesus suffering in hell and his spirit suffering in hell. There's quite a few uh, kind of faith movement people that would say that after Calvary, Jesus, Jesus tasted death for every man. But if he suffered in hell to atone for your sins and my sins, and the suffering after he was crucified was the atoning work, which it wasn't, but if it were then it means the sin of the whole world would have only justified three days in hell. Are you with me? Because if he was taking all the punishment that was needed to justify everyone from sin in hell with punishment, then it means that hell could only be inflicted on anyone for three days. No? If that were true, which it isn't. I'm just saying. 
Their, their whole philosophy and theology on it is so absurd as to be irrational because hell is hell. And they say, well, Jesus uh, went to hell and, and that was where he fulfilled the atoning work. Not at all. The atoning work was that he tasted death for every man. That was separation from God. That was death as a human um, because he was both God and man. He had to dismiss his spirit because he could never have died. God never died. Uh, you do understand that. There wasn't three days of God being dead because if God was dead, the world, creation, everything would cease to exist because everything's upheld by the power of his word. And the power of his word is in the spirit of life. He dismissed his spirit and the man, Christ Jesus, atoned for your life and my life because he was perfect and sinless. Therefore, he took death upon himself and tasted death that we might be set free from death. But the idea, which is obnoxious to me, that somehow he, he went into hell and his spirit went into hell and had to suffer... Um, just for three days to atone for everyone it is just ridiculous. Is that plain? Because then anyone who was a sinner who died should only spend three days in hell at the most. And after that they can come out because um, that's all Jesus needed to do to atone for the sin of the whole world. If what they said was right, which it isn't. Is that plain? I have no idea to exactly what happened between Calvary and resurrection morning. I know that Jesus dismissed his spirit and said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Uh, and he did. I know that he died. I know that he was buried. I know the third day rose from the dead. That's all I know. I know that he led captivity captive. I know that when he rose, it was the glory of the Father that caused him to rise from the dead. But there's no explanation given. And if the Bible doesn't explain something, I'm a type of person who believes what the Bible says and don't try to concoct theories about what is right and what is wrong. I'll give you an example. Dr. Hayden came, we were chatting before the meeting, and Dr. Hayden said to me that one of the people in his lectures had written how that babies, um, if they died before they'd ever made a decision, would go to heaven. I believe that. Because the Bible teaches that uh, God will judge every man according to the light that they have. Now, if a baby just born ceases to exist they will go to heaven because the light that they've had, they didn't have any. They never made a decision. Um, but they haven't done anything that you could blame them for. Now God says they'll be judged according to that light. I believe they'll go to heaven. So Dr. Hayden asked me the question. He said, well, were, does that mean all babies are elect? Of course it doesn't. I pointed out to him that Timothy says, avoid foolish disputations. I don't try and define it. I just believe what the Bible says. It says that. That's good enough for me. Do I believe in the elect? Yes, I do. Where do babies come in? The Lord knows. 
don't ever try and get in to define everything. Um, once you start trying to define, there are things that God doesn't say anything about. Well, leave them alone. Uh, what he wants you to know, you know in the book. What he doesn't put in the book, I don't want to know about. I don't have any theories about it. I'm not interested. And if you're a Christian, that should be your attitude. What God wants me to know, he'll tell me. What he doesn't want me to know is fine by me. All right? If you're one of these people that wants an answer for everything, you better go and join a philosophy society because they pretend they've got an answer for everything. But I don't have answers. There's a lot of things I don't understand. I don't know what it means to be baptized for the dead. I really don't. I know it's not what the Mormons believe, that if I get baptized in water, I can save my grandfather. I, that's just absurd. And, you know, you can get baptized for your relatives going back, I don't know, four or five generations. That's, that's absurd. I don't think it means that. But what I do think it means, it's like getting society. You know, you can change society by preaching Christ. You can't change society because society is a non-existent thing. Margaret Thatcher was right. There's no such thing as society. There really isn't. You say, well, surely we live. No. It's individuals who make up a family. It's individuals who make up a country. But this idea, mythology of a society, you go around the country and you can go to Yorkshire and you'll find their whole culture is totally different from going to Devon. You go to Scotland and their culture is certainly different. You go, but you can't say there's a society in Britain because every part of our country has different views, different values, and I would suggest every family does. So if you try and make a, a mass and, and declare, well, this is what society believes, it's absurd. They don't. But that's what the media would like you to believe. There's kind of a, some society. What we're made up of is individuals. And when we preach, we preach to the individual. And it's an individual's beliefs. And the individual makes choices. The individual believes certain things. And we deal always with the individual. And the individual can change the overall effect of the mass if there's enough individuals who are changed. But what you can't do is change the view of society as a whole. You change the view of individuals. Is that plain? The gospel is for the individual. A man gets saved as an individual. There's no such thing as saving a nation. Let us go there and preach the gospel and the individuals who respond will get saved, but you won't save a nation. God's after the individual. Amazingly enough, Paul had to point it out to the Jews. He said, they aren't all Jews that call themselves Jews. He's not a Jew's one outwardly, he's a Jew's one inwardly. It's to do with faith. And Paul was pointing out they were relying on a kind of national heritage in God that doesn't exist God looks at the individual heart is that plain no it wasn't huh don't think oh well I live in a Christian you can't call this country Christian far from it um, 
We've got a Christian heritage which was being abandoned, um, abandoned very rapidly. Uh, and it worries me sometimes that people think there's kind of a national thing. You won't, by prayer, change a nation. God never said pray to change a nation. It's amazing how Christians get caught up in great prayer to change a nation. They forget we're in the new covenant, not the old covenant. Forget we're not the people of God. We're not. We're not the nation. Galatians 2.20 says this. I was crucified, not I am. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. I pointed out on Friday that the tense is wrong, and in, a, in the New Living Translation, they translate it like this, which is better. It's not the NIV, I'll point out. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Now the issue that many people have in their lives, when they have a bondage, they are crying out to God for deliverance. You don't have to cry out to God for deliverance from something he's already delivered you from. What you have to do is believe in the efficacious work. That means the work that's been completed and done by Christ and is effective in your life, if you start believing in that, you can walk out of your bondage into freedom. It's by faith. It's not by experience. So if you're one of these people who say, well, I've got a problem in my life, I need God to come and do something in my life, Lord, deliver me, and you're crying out, I want to tell you, 2,000 years ago, you were crucified with Christ. The power of sin was broken 2,000 years ago. And when you begin to believe what Christ has done for you, and you set your heart in faith on redemption, you can walk in freedom. But whilst you believe that you're bound, and whilst you believe that God has got to do something more, you live in unbelief. Is that plain? And that's what a lot of Christians do, especially if they go near a so-called deliverance ministry. The people are telling them, well, it's not your fault, it's the devil. It's not your fault, it's this. Look, you can be free because of what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. And when you believe in what he did, you can walk into freedom. But whilst you struggle and ask God to deliver you, I want to tell you, he won't do it because he's already done it. And that's one of the problems. If you pray and ask God to do what he's already done, you're not going to get it to happen. And if you pray and ask God to do what he's told you to do, it won't happen. And that's 95% of Christian struggle. 
They're always asking God to do what he's already done. Why don't they believe what he says? Okay, look again in uh, Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, do you know it? That our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be what? Destroyed. That means that which bugged you, that which uh, hurt you, was destroyed 2,000 years ago. The thing that drove you and bound you was destroyed 2,000 years ago. When you believe what Christ did, sin loses its power. Whilst you struggle to get Christ to deliver you, you get nowhere. Okay? Because faith is faith from the Word of God. It is not faith in experience. And that is where the Christians have gone so wrong. What people want to do is get an experience that will bring them into something rather than believing in what God says he's done, accepting it and living by faith and having imparted to them the righteousness which is of Christ and being becoming partakers of the divine nature. They live in a different realm, but it's by faith. Romans 5 makes it plain. Abraham had it, righteousness imputed to him by faith. Not by experience. And faith cometh by hearing the word of God. When you hear the word, now it means that people, what they've done is they've been taught falsely. And they're looking for some great experience. How many people are looking, you know, there's going to be a new move of God? Or they come out the front and someone says to them, you need more of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. And when he comes, he comes as a person. There is not more of him or less of him. He is. God is. When you receive Christ and Christ is in you, you can't have more of Jesus than Jesus. You can't have more of what is total. God is God. And the concepts that have come into the church have somehow made, um, dare I say, God a commodity. And you can buy a part, but you haven't got it all. Well, that's absurd. And when you liken it to a river, people say, well, you know, the Spirit is defined as a river well fine but I have the wellspring of the river inside me therefore I know where the river starts and where the river starts that's where everything is and the Holy Spirit he flows out from my life and from your life because the wellsprings inside and Jesus defined it it's a wellspring springing up to eternal life isn't it no, it's inside. You, you already have everything you need. It's not something you've got to reach out for. God lives in you if you're a true Christian. And you need to start believing what Christ taught rather than trying to get some experience, some uh, cosmic, um, I don't know, transformation. I, who knows what it is? 
And they're all looking and they're saying, now, I know when I was born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, which happened at one and the same time, I spoke in tongues. Now, some people don't speak in tongues straight away. Um, I think Oral Roberts would put it this way. Some people need a release into the gifts, but the gifts are already within them because the gifts are part of the person. Sanctification is not some experience or something you grow and experience day by day. Sanctification is a person. Jesus Christ is my sanctification. It means I'm set apart. Going on to holiness, we're changed from glory to glory as in the face of Jesus Christ. He lives within me as I get to know him more and more, as I mature in things more and more, as I understand the word of God more and more, my life is transformed by the renewing of my mind. That's the spirit of my mind. But it is not me who receives more from God. It's merely I get better understanding of the redemption story and what God has done for me. I'm not short of anything. You lack nothing. Everything you need is already within. And the Bible says before you call, he sent the answer. I can't understand why people pray for weeks for something when you know that before you open your mouth, God's already answered. Now you can go back and you say, well, you know, Jesus said, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened. And you say, there you are. And then he talks about the unjust uh, judge and, and think, well, let me explain that to you. Jesus was talking in old covenant terms, not in new covenant. And you've got to divide between the two. You see, the old covenant was done away. Christ fulfilled it, and it was done away. And if you're one of these people that wants to live in old covenant theology, then you'll live in a, a begging kind of, oh God, if you hear me, if it's your will. And that's not Christianity. And you need to get change. Become a Christian. All right? It's totally different. And a lot of people are caught because of their theology. They don't understand. Uh, this is what the Bible teaches. Let's go on. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 said, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. When Christ was raised again, from the dead, what it meant was that sin, he became sin who knew no sin on Calvary's tree. When he rose from the dead, God wanted you to know that in his rising, every man and woman who comes to faith in him is justified forever. It's as though I never sinned. Nothing can ever be held to my charge because of what Jesus did. He paid the price in full. Is that plain? And we're justified in his resurrection. Now what did I have to do with his resurrection? Nothing. What did I have to do with his death? Nothing. I wasn't born then. I'm justified. Now, 
I want to make it plain that it's not that you take the scripture and claim it for yourself without a work of the spirit within your heart and life and without God birthing you from above so you're born again none of this applies to you you must be born again you won't see nor can you enter into the kingdom of God if God doesn't translate you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son you're going to remain in the kingdom of darkness that's the sovereign work of God it's not of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man it's of God God does it and I cannot understand why it is that some people will walk in a church God will lighten them quicken them save them transform them in a second and other people can come for years and God won't do anything and they hear the same sermons they hear the same truths they should understand the same things but no light ever gets inside them that's God's sovereign choice uh, I don't understand it I never will understand it I can't understand why Paul went to Ephesus and he preached and he disputed above two years and only 12 people got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost numbers them uh, and I don't understand why it was that he didn't win everyone but the Jews stirred up the tumult against him always wherever he went why why didn't everyone accept what he said I mean it was the same spirit same life because there's the elect who will believe and there's the vessels to dishonor who are not going to believe and you figure it out yourself I don't know why does he choose one and not another God alone knows I, I, I'm like Spurgeon I'll repeat it a hundred times that if the elect had a yellow stripe painted up and down their back I'd lift their shirt tails to see who the elect were because they don't I preach whomsoever will may come and the elect come that's it I don't have any explanation for why some people are and some people aren't um, Arminius had exactly the same teaching as Calvin on this um, they don't understand Arminius believed exactly what Calvin believed in the sovereignty of God and the choice of God and the election of man um, Romans chapter 6 Romans chapter 6 verse 5 says if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death we shall be also in the likeness of his res resurrection now I want to ask you a question is that past tense hmm? is it past tense if we have been planted is that past huh it's done well you, you can't die if you're dead can you and if you're dead in trespasses and sins you don't need to die you need Christ to give you life uh, and he would say oh people need to die to themselves they need to die to this they need to die to that 
Uh, and they would try and get an experience absolutely absurd. What you've got to do is believe we have been planted together. It's happened. Happened 2,000 years ago. You and I were planted together with Christ in his death. Hey, and we were raised in his resurrection. When he came out the tomb, life came to us. And when I believe what Christ has done for me, life comes. It's not that I am trying to get God to do it. I believe what he has done for me. And the reality of it works in my life because of my faith in what he's done. Verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe what? We shall also what? Live with him. You see, you've got to believe you died 2,000 years ago with him in order to live. And if you don't believe the reality of your death 2,000 years ago in him, the death of the body of sin 2,000 years ago, you're never going to be able to live with him. If you believe in the death and that it's done, it's a done deal, hey, I'm free. Why? Because I'm dead. My life is hid with Christ in God. He did it for me. I died in him 2,000 years ago. Then you can live. But you can't live in Christ until you believe in what he did in redemption. And most people get stuck on that. They look at their lives and they won't believe because they say, but I, I need deliverance from this. I need deliverance from... No, you need to know what Christ has already done for you. It's done. It was done 2,000 years ago. When you believe that, you'll find you can live. The door of the prison opens. It's over. But whilst you struggle, you're in trouble. <coughs> okay, Romans 4.4 4 says this. Romans 4. You remember it says this. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And there's a lot of people, their Christian life and Christian experience is one of debt. God does it because I do this. God does it because I do that. No, if God's doing it because of what you do, it's not of grace, it's earned. And the truth is, by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not what I do. It's acknowledging what Christ has done for me. I can do nothing. He did it all. Same with healing. If you're struggling to believe for healing, you're struggling to be healed, stop it. Christ took your disease into his own body. Christ took your bondage into his own body. Christ took your sin into his own body. He died to it once for all. When you really believe it, you will find disease dies, sickness dies, bondage dies, sin dies, and you can live. You live because of what he did for you. Not an experience, it's a belief. There was a man 
over in um, South America and God really put on his heart uh, scripture in Isaiah where it says that he was bruised for us and he began to just get up and read the scripture and people were healed they were healed when they realized Christ took their disease took their sickness I don't need to keep it anymore you say well that's believism no it's true it's what the Bible teaches and if you have faith in it and God alone can give you that faith by his spirit it'll work for you doesn't mean it'll work for anyone else but it sure will for you see the devil wants you to believe that Christ has got to do something he has to do nothing he's done it all I often say if God doesn't do it it won't get done what I'm really saying is it's done and you've got to understand it's God's work not yours if you're trying to make it your work then it's of debt that's why people fast and pray they're told oh if you fast and pray God will deliver you if you do this God will do that no it's grace by grace you don't deserve it no work at all it's what God does because of his mercy and love and grace for you Jesus so loved the world that he said to father father I'm going down there we agree I'm gonna pay the price for them and God the father sent his only begotten son into the world what to save sinners and while we were yet enemies Christ died for us he didn't wait till we were friends while we were enemies and redemption comes while we're enemies God intervenes in our life when we're against him when we're in darkness and death God births us out of it into life it's by grace it's nothing that I do it's totally sovereign God when he speaks a word into the heart we're born again of the incorruptible word of God it comes into our lives we cannot explain it we cannot define it we cannot say that we did a thing for it God does it up to that point you cannot believe after that point it's impossible not to believe God did it is that plain grace 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 Colossians 2 verse 12 buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead do you know it was God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead and when he raised Jesus from the dead he raised you from the dead it was his work not yours a lot of people are trying to get themselves into experience by believing by seeking by running around the world by looking no it's in the Bible if I believe what God says and faith by the Spirit comes into my heart I'll tell you what happens it works for me and why do I preach because I believe that God can quicken the word to the heart <clears throat> but I know 
And I'm well aware there'll be people sitting here and you could preach for a hundred years to them and they'll never come to life. And you can find other people, you can preach to them for two minutes, God will quicken them. I have no explanation except God is God and thank God he's in charge of his church and thank God he saves whom he will and thank God he does a perfect work and thank God he knows what he's doing and thank God in the end it's up to him. I'm glad. That takes all the responsibility off me. I don't lie awake at night thinking why didn't this person respond? Why does that person respond? I tell you it doesn't bother me at all because it's God's church, he's building it, and it's his business. So all I have to do is be obedient. All he does is what he wants to do. And who knows what that is? I certainly don't. I just know he builds living stones together for a habitation of God, and he does it in a miraculous way, and it's a great mystery. And because it's a mystery, I have no clue how he does it. I've often wondered, why, why does God use certain methods? And then I discover other people, he used none of those methods on at all. God's God. He really doesn't need us. He could send an angel, but he uses the foolishness of preaching. Do you know, he could frighten you out of hell into heaven. I believe hell's real. Why? Because it says so in the Bible. Uh, if you're one of these people that think sinners will just cease to exist and the saints will be in heaven, you're deluded. Hell's real. Uh, Colossians 2.13 says, And you I made alive in Christ, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Everything you ever did in your life that was wrong is forgiven. Now God quickened you when you were dead. He didn't quicken you when you made a decision. He quickened you when you were dead. Ephesians 2, 5, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. It's while you were dead. One of the amazing things in my life was God, when I was, went to a meeting, I tried to prove God didn't exist. That was the only intention I had in the meeting, was to prove that the people that were preaching were frauds and that God didn't exist. You can tell I went there with a totally unprejudiced mind. I was determined to prove they were a load of frauds, they were American. So, in my view, they must be frauds. And I went there to prove it. Now, I didn't go there with an intention of finding God. I went there to prove there wasn't a God. Now, God, while I was dead in trespasses and sins, quickened me, birthed me, lifed me, changed me, not because of anything I did, because he decided it was time to do it. And I want to suggest that every single one of you, if you've had a true new birth, that's how God got hold of you. Not when you saw, he suddenly came in and turned you upside down 
because he decided he needed to. Why did he choose you and not someone else? I have no idea. Frankly, if I were God, I would make better choices. But God's God. He does it. You know, maybe, well, I would consider them better choices. But God's God. How does he do it? I don't know. Why does he do it? That's what's the great mystery about the church. It's God's church. And he uses whom he will. The things that are not, he takes as though they were. You'd think God would know what's not. So you're a what not. And God took you and said, boom. And suddenly you came to life. Why? Because God in his sovereign love and grace decided. Now if you're one of these people that's brought up in a Christian home and you're ever so religious and you think you always believe, I've got news for you. You need to get saved. Because no, you can't get born a Christian. You must be born again. You must be. And no such thing. Uh, you have to be born again and you have to realize your depravity. You have to come to self-despair. But that's God's sovereign work. I don't know how he does it. But he does. And all we can do is just preach until he does. And put up with you. Until he and his mercy will deliver us from you. By getting you birthed again. It says in uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know, God has decided you're going to be conformed to the image of his son. That's your predestinated end. And you're going to arrive. How he does it would be a mystery. But he's going to do it. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Ephesians 1 verse 20 to 23 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body. Now, do you realize Christ is far above all principality, all power, all dominion, and might, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. Jesus Christ is over everything. There's no devil or demon over any city or town or village or person. Jesus is over everything. And he's above every name that's named. And doesn't matter what you call yourself, Jesus is over you, that name. Doesn't matter what you call your disease, Jesus is over it. Doesn't matter what you call your bondage, Jesus is over it. There's nothing you can name that Christ isn't over. He had total dominion over everything. Don't ever think that, that you know, there's 
things in this world that Jesus isn't king and lord of. His name is over them all. And that is why you have faith in a God who's all-powerful, almighty, and you know there's not a cosmic war going on. That is untrue. Jesus Christ has been given power, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. He's over everything. And I happen to be a believer, and I happen to have total faith in it. Is that plain? Hello? Is that plain? Well, go on then. Because you, no one's going to dispute that. Except someone who doesn't believe the word. I was raised with Christ, Ephesians 2, 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against ruler darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. How do I wrestle? I preach the word. The warfare is in the mind. The Holy Ghost comes to the pulling down of the strongholds between your ears. You start believing lies, and God comes to deal with them. Colossians 2.15, Jesus, having spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. The devil is a dealt with being. He destroyed him. And Jesus is manifest to destroy the works of the devil. That's the manifestation it says in 1 John. And you've got to understand that when he came to earth, his sole purpose was to let mankind know that the dominion of the devil was at an end. And when he dealt with the whole of creation, he stilled the storm, he changed, he created eyes for people, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he delivered the captive. He wanted you to know his dominion is now. The kingdom of God is amongst us. It's now. He is totally and completely in charge. My God is almighty, omnipotent. My God is almighty. There's no might in anyone else. There's no power in anyone else. He's far above everything. Even the spiritual wickedness that's in this world. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter who it is. Jesus is over it. I believe it. And the only hope for heaven and earth is in faith in Jesus Christ. You can't have faith in man. You don't trust in man, nor in the arm of man. You've got to trust in God. Do I believe on peace on earth? No. I don't believe on peace on earth. I'll tell you why I don't believe in it. Because man can never bring it about. He'll bring war and division and fightings. There's only one who can. He is the Prince of Peace. His name is Jesus. And it's by his principles and his life alone that peace on earth can reign. You've got to stop believing the so-called peacemakers, the doves. They're not peacemakers. There's only one peacemaker. When Jesus came to earth, he said, look, you'll have peace. 
and we need to face the fact that there is outside of him there is no peace and there never will be there'll be wars and rumors of wars that's the way it's going to be things are going to get worse they're not going to get better but we have one whom we proclaim who can change individuals and if you get enough individuals changed you'll change more individuals but what you won't change is the world you will only reach those whom Christ has preordained should be saved I believe this world's going to burn up with unquenchable fire because it says God's going to roll up the heavens like a scroll and he's going to burn the earth with unquenchable fire and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and the bride of Christ will come down out of heaven to be on the new earth and the nations of the saved will come in and out but those who are true sons of God will live and the temple there'll be no temple there for they shall be in God I believe it that's where my mansion is I look for a new heaven and a new earth I actually don't want to live forever in a rotten climate I don't want to live forever with you know weather forecasts can you imagine an angel standing there and saying today it's going to be a rainy day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and the Lord God Almighty is going to rule and that's what I look for I look for a city whose builder and maker is God do I believe you can have a city down here? No. Let me tell you, it's all going to burn. There's going to be a new heaven. The only Jerusalem that's ever going to be built is already built in heaven. It's coming down out of heaven from God to earth, the new earth. And that's what I believe in. When will it happen? No idea. But I'll tell you this, I've got grandchildren and they have a future. God is God. And these things are mysteries. There's no way you can define it. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 20. Uh, let's take, um, sorry, Acts 2 verse 34 and 35. For David is not ascended into heavens, but saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool Ephesians 1 20 to 22 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from dead set him in his own right hand in heavenly places far above what all principality all power all might all dominion every name that is named not only in this world but in that which is to come and he's raised us up and made us sit in heavenly places when I identify with Christ, when I live with Christ, I come to the place where I believe in the total supremacy of Jesus. I believe that I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to God. I believe I was buried with him 2,000 years ago. When he rose from the dead, I rose in him. I believe I have life. I believe I'm justified because when he rose, I was justified in him. I believe he delivered me. I believe there's no power, dominion, principality, or anything that can touch this God who lives in me. 
His name is Jesus. His name is above every name that's named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. I have total assurance. Now, the reason I live in freedom is not because I had an experience. It's because I believe what God said. And when you believe in the Lordship of Christ and you live to do God's will alone, everything works for you. And when you don't, it's frustration. When you try to experience something and get a deliverance or an experience, instead of acknowledging what is true, it's quite simple. I want to give you an example. I was trying to think of what's a simple example. Very difficult. But let, let me give you an example. The kind of an example um, thinking about it, okay? Okay, here. I've just taken uh, uh, dollars out of my pocket rather than pounds because I know you can't spend them. Um, here's a hundred dollar bill, okay? A hundred dollar bill. It's $100. Quite a lot of money, isn't it? Now, if you were a poor man and you said, well, I need $100. And someone came along and said, well, it's there for you. Stand up. Okay, you're, you're sitting there in the front. You, know, you might come, come over here. Okay, now if you needed $100, if you did, now, I'm not going to part with this. I want you to know that now. Okay, I want you to know. I'm not going to part. This is $100, see? But if I were to give it into your hand, and there's your $100, and I said, that's yours. It's done. And you said to me, but just a minute, I need $100. And I said, but I've given you $100. And you said, but I don't feel I have $100. It wouldn't alter the fact that it was still in your hand, would it? He's got the $100. Now, do you realize there's a lot of people that are begging God to do something he's done? Hey, it's not that you need to be delivered from your sin. Christ delivered you 2,000 years ago. The 100 bucks is in your hand. The trouble is, if you don't accept it and believe it, you'll live in poverty even though you have the possession of it. What Christ has done can't be undone. There's no power in heaven or earth that can change the fact that Jesus has done it. But what happens is people look at their experience and then they start, because someone's told them, they start crying out to God to do what is already done. And that is why the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. You see, the power will only work for you when you believe the good news that it's already done. It's a done deal that can't be undone. Jesus paid the price for
for all your sin, for all your iniquities, for everything you've done from the day of your birth. Jesus Christ paid the price. You do not have to be bound by sin. You do not have to be bound by bondage anymore. You do not have to be bound by disease anymore. He took it all. Now it's a done deal. It's in your hand. One of the worst problems in life is that Christians are trying to ask God to do what he's done for them. Instead of realizing it's by faith, when you hear the gospel and you believe the gospel, it is the power of God into the very thing you need. You suddenly realize, hey, I don't any longer have to cry out for it. I have to thank God who's already done it. It's mine. It's over. The devil lied to me. He held me in a prison that wasn't true. It was a prison of lies. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did it. I believe today, therefore I will live it. That is why the good news, when you take hold of it in your heart, it becomes the power of God into salvation. It's the open door. He opened it, no man can shut it. Nothing can keep you out. If so be the Spirit of God births it in you. And there's something I want to explain. It's not a believism intellectually, it's you just know it's true. God has to reveal it by his spirit. And if he doesn't, you're dead. You can say, I believe, but it won't work. You can look at that $100 bill, it's there, isn't it? Have a good look at it, both sides. Is that $100? $100. That's $100. Yep, it's $100. You're sure? But you couldn't spend it, could you? No. Why not? Because it's not mine. But it is yours. It's in your hand, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's in your hand, isn't it? Yes, it's in my hand. So you could spend it. I could, but not in here. But not in here. <laughs> now, God never does that. He never whips it back. He leaves it. He leaves it in someone's hand. He said, that's it. It's over. Everything that you need for salvation is in your hand. 2,000 years ago, he did it all. Hmm? That's fair, isn't it? Sit down. Now it's got a problem, hasn't he? <laughs> We're seated in heavenly places in Christ. Far above all principality and power. Jesus' name is above every name. There's no power in heaven or earth that can do anything to stop this gospel power from being yours today 
in your being and in your life. It's not an experience, it's a belief. If you will believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God has raised him from the dead, there is nothing that can stop you being healed, being delivered, being made whole, being totally transformed. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Not only in this world, but in that which is to come. That is the gospel. It's not proclaimed very often in many places. People are always trying to say it's out there. They pray for revival. You don't need to pray for a revival because if you believe you have life. What needs to happen, stop praying, start preaching. Declare it from the rooftops. He did it all. It's done. Do you know the song we sung is true. He's my advocate. He's my high priest. He's everything. I believe it. Is that plain? Still got a problem, haven't you, with that $100 bill? See, it's in your hand, isn't it? Once God is given, he never takes back. But I'm not God. <laughs> He never removes it. The promise is sure. Don't ever forget it. He's a good God. Perfect God. Do you know he's here this morning? And your life could change by basically just believing what he said he's done for you. That's all. Let's all pray. Close your eyes. Don't look round. Father, I just pray for each one here. Lord, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between bones and marrow, flesh and spirit. Lord, I just pray that what's been spoken will work by your spirit in every heart and life from this day. Lord, let the truth get inside our hearts the redemption that's in you. I thank you, you're over every disease, you're over every affliction, you're over every bondage. The body of sin has been destroyed. That we should not serve sin, but serve the living God. You took every disease into your own body and it has no power, has no ability to hold us anymore. Lord Jesus, I just pray for each one this day. I know your name is above every name. I know your power is over every power. Lord, I pray this day in your great name 
in the name of Jesus that every disease, every sickness, every bondage, everything that afflicts the mind, the heart, the soul, the body would be broken. You send me to break the yokes. You send me to declare liberty to the captives. And this day I declare the liberty in your great name. From this day on, Lord, let that life flow, flow in each one. Let them know that the one they've believed in is the mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.